Uh, well, good morning. Um, for those of you, I know there's a lot of hands that went up. My name is Bobby. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and, and normally I get to do music, and it's really great to be part of a church. You know, several years ago, we kind of committed to entering into this experiment of what does it mean to become multi-generational, and it's been fun to kind of see that continue to evolve, to be able to have, uh, you know, Sylvia now on our staff be able to lead us. She's also a college student, you know, and Henry Reimer, he's back from school, and, and you may have noticed the, the really cool uh, cello player, who is actually a friend of Loida's, she's sitting down right now, <laughs> uh, named Eileen, who's actually visiting Loida from L.A., and I don't know who travels with a cello, but, <laughs> but Eileen does. She, she packed a cello on a plane and came out here and just blessed us, and so thank you for being here. It was awesome, so yeah. So it's fun. It's fun to be a part of, of that whole experiment and really be able to say, you know what, the next generation is not like this isolated thing that we throw, throw a bone to. Say, how can we incorporate, you know, uh, kids, high school, college into the life and the framework of what this church is all about? And it's not just like graduation, but they actually are being given the keys now, you know, given the keys to the car before they even have their license. But uh, it's fun. It's really good. Um, I, I kind of have to make mention at least because this is the first time, you know, last week obviously we had Joe uh, Smith and that was a great just blessing, especially for those of you that were here given just the craziness that went on before he got here and just what a blessing to have him and just to hear his heart and that was a great uh, just story and, and it was fun to hear from him. Uh, so this is the first time that we kind of get to, you know, talk as a church family in the new year. So happy new year and what do we want to be in 2014? What do I want to be? What do you want to be? What is this church going to look like in 2014? Where do we want to see ourselves at the end of uh, this year and say, this is what I hope for, this is what I desire? Um, so we're going to kind of take a, a broad view and look at some of those things. Two weeks ago, uh, Troy did this message on the long view. And so if you remember, he said, the long view is to think about the effects that something will have in the future instead of the present. So many times we get kind of locked in this like, live in the now, man, you know, like this, it's all about the present. But the reality is we're always going to be caught in that tension between the, the responsibility and the things that we have here in front of us, but also in light of where we're going and what we're moving towards. And given the new year and where we're at, I, uh, I, I kind of have to talk about New Year's resolutions. How many, how many of you, just a quick raise of hands, made some New Year's resolutions on New Year's? That's, yeah. I, I know I did, and, and I wrote some of them down, and, and I think that's a great practice. It's a great thing to say, hey, we want to change some things. I know for me, and I'm not going to prescribe this to say this is true of you necessarily, but I know for me a lot of times my own junk from my own past and my upbringing and all that is like there's a lot of guilt and shame that ends up being the driving force behind these New Year's resolutions, if you know what I mean. We start from a place of lack, of I'm not this, and so this year I'm going to fill that and I'm going to become something. So whether it's a better husband or a better father or... Uh, we start from a place of saying, I need to be uh, better at certain things, or I need to uh, not be this anymore. 
And a lot of times we kind of set ourselves up. We're already starting from a place of guilt and shame. And I, I kind of had to just ask, as I was even looking at this, I had to ask myself, like, how, how did this come about? If, if you look up, I just looked up the, the knowledgeable source of Wikipedia <laughs> to see where does New Year's resolutions come from? Like, what's the, you know, how did it come about that we start doing this, doing this to ourselves, really? And it, the, the religious backdrop is actually the ancient Babylonians. They made promises to their gods at the start of each year that they would return borrowed objects and pay their debts. So, I mean, like, it's not super lofty, like, oh, yeah, I borrowed your lawnmower. I guess I better give that back. The Romans began each year by making promises to the god Janus. That's where we get our month January. Uh, it was from the, the Roman world. Um, and they began to, oh, so they began to uh, make promises to the God for whom the month of January is named. They would promise all kinds of things. And the God Janus was this God that had like two heads and one was looking to the future, one was looking to the past. And so anyway, that's where we got some of these practices. And then in the medieval area, area, era, the knights took the peacock vow at the end of the Christmas season each year to reaffirm their commitment to chivalry. I think some of us could probably benefit from doing that. So here's, here's a list, although definitely not exhaustive, of some very popular uh, New Year's resolutions. I wish we still had our finger lights from Christmas because I'd have you guys like raise your, you know, with you like, yep, I did that too. That was, that was one of mine. Um, improve physical well-being. As in, like, eating healthier, lose weight, exercise more, whatever. Uh, improve mental well-being. Think positive. Laugh more. Enjoy life. Improve finances. Get out of debt. Save money. Make small investments. Improve career. Perform better at your current job or get a better job or start a business. Improve your education. Uh, improve yourself. You know, become more organized or reduce stress. Be less grumpy. Um, to take a trip. Uh, volunteer more to get along better with people or improve your social skills, to make new friends, uh, spend quality time with family, to settle down, um, get engaged or get married, uh, try foreign foods. And the last one on here was to pray more, to be closer to God, to, to be more spiritual. So a, a 2007 study by Richard Wiseman uh, from the University of Bristol involving 3,000 people showed that 88% of those who set New Year's resolutions, what? Fail. And it says, despite the fact that 52% of the study's participants were confident of success at the beginning. 88% fail. Now, I believe that making or setting goals and looking for ways to improve is a good thing and not necessarily a bad thing. But when you look at those kind of numbers, you gotta say there's, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better formula. There's gotta be a better perspective that would change that number, because 88%, that's high. That's, that's demotivating. So I, I set out to do some, some New Year's resolutions. And I said I was going to write 100 goals for 2014. 
Number one on the list, lose 30 pounds. Anybody with me? Yep. Yeah. Number two, record an EP. Uh, read 15 to 20 books. Uh, and then on, on and on. You know, some of these are silly. Some of these are, are great. And I got to 22. <laughs> so even in my goal of setting goals, I already failed. <laughs> I set myself up for that. So how can we start to change the way we view goals? And let's just be okay with uh, asking some questions of ourselves. Or just asking questions of the process in general. Why? Why, why would we set some goals? And specifically talking about us as a church and as you as a, as a, as a part of this church, wherever you may be in your, in your walk or in your life or your season of life or whatever may be going on in your circumstances, why? Why should we do this? Are we going? There we go. Uh, Troy used this quote a couple weeks ago from uh, Cloud and Townsend saying, one of the central meanings of to obey in the Bible is to hear. Hearing and doing what God says are deeply interrelated. When we hear God as he is, rather than how we want him to be, we move toward true obedience. That's a powerful quote. That's a quote that I believe in. I think it's a quote that's very true. Now, I'm going to just kind of like speak to my cynics, okay? So those of you that are like me, you have a little skeptical side, a cynical side. The rest of you, you can just plug your ears for a second because you may not want to engage in this conversation. <laughs> Why? Why would I take a step towards true obedience? For what? To prove to you that I'm really spiritual or to prove to myself that I can do it? To, to prove to God that I'm, I'm on board with what he's doing? Why? And, and so as we continue to talk, let's just not be afraid of asking why. Let's put everything out on the table. Let's put our, our stories, our lives, our goals, our ambitions, our spiritual lives on the table and just ask why. And then as we start to dive in to this long view and specifically in what does it mean to connect with God, to know God, let's hopefully shape some some mindset and some, some attitudes together that we will begin to change that kind of number. So when we set our minds to do something, it has a different kind of motivation that doesn't fail. Um, the great theologian Jimmy Kimmel, uh, <laughs> in one of his monologues recently, he said, he's like, you know what? I don't want to share my New Year's resolutions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my October I did it's. Because he said, I don't want to, you know, how many people fail by, you know, after two weeks of doing it? And so by October, if you've done it, then I'll share you what I've done. And so in a, you know, play on words, I mean, not seriously, you know, wanting to follow Jimmy Kimmel's discipleship plan. But how can we be a part of the, I did it? Okay, so we're, I think in order to do this, we're, I, I know I need a little help in kind of finding some of that framework. So let's look at the Apostle Paul. Um, if you have a Bible, please, you can turn to Philippians 3. If you need one, you can just go get one. Uh, if, you need, if somebody can grab you one, either way. Or if you've got it on your phone, digital devices are still inspired. Uh, so we're going to read 
Philippians. This is from the NIV. This is, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and, to, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, this passage, I'm sure many of you have heard before, and it gets used a lot, especially on the pressing on towards the goal. What's the goal? Being a a superstar Christian like Paul, uh, I know, and again, I'm speaking from some of my own framework of some of my own experience in the way I view the world that was kind of taught early to me, this like guilt and shame mentality, and I know some of you do too have that. When I read this passage... And I hear him go, I think everything is rubbish compared to the all-surpassing knowledge of, of knowing Christ. Immediately I go, oh, shoot, I shouldn't, I know, I put too much emphasis on these things. And it just turns into this weighty thing of like, I, I, it's wrong for me to put so much attention on all these other things. I just need to be focused on Christ. And, and again, already I'm starting from this like, like weighty heavy, shameful place. And it's like, okay, I need to press on. Who's pursuing God? And, you know, and it just, it's like, man, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like the, the, the life-giving freedom that, that Jesus talks about. So, Paul, he had his long view changed. So remember that quote talking about, like, you look at things with the impact the future will make, not just right here. Uh, Harper and I got to go to this uh, conference in September uh, by this guy named John Acuff, who's a great author, and he writes a lot of, like, he's really good at, like, kind of coaching on goals. And, um, and so he talked about when you set your goals, so many times people will ask you or you may ask people, like, oh, well, why wouldn't you do that? That's great. You know, when I talk about, like, recording a, an EP, you know, and, and people will say things like, oh, yeah, that's so awesome. Why wouldn't you do that? And even in that framework, even in saying that, if you answer that question, think about how you would answer it. Why wouldn't you do that? You know, and it's kind of like, uh, well, you know, sometimes I, I just, I don't believe in myself enough to do it. Or sometimes I just let time, you know, slip away. And then I, I don't, why wouldn't I do it? I guess because sometimes I just believe that I don't have the creativity to write. Whatever it is. And, you know, and people may be like, oh, that's not true. You're great. You can do it but you're already focusing on all the things that you're not. So what he said to do is when you start to looking at a goal, and so whether it's from a, uh, from a spiritual framework or just from life in general, ask somebody or have somebody ask you, why would you do that? 
Why would you pursue that goal? Because now you're saying, well, because I want to have a better relationship with my spouse, or I want to have better communication with my kids, or I want to have financial uh, freedom to not be stuck in some of these places I am. So now you're looking at the long view. You're changing your perspective to look ahead as opposed to identifying all the things that you're not. You're looking at where you're going. Paul had a similar experience. His long view was changed. If you have uh, read much of Paul's story, you know that he, his name was Saul, and he uh, was a very devout religious person, but he also persecuted Christians. He was, and he was good at it. Uh, he did a lot. And then he had this, you know, taking a stroll in Damascus and... God blinds him, changes his name, and he had this overwhelming experience. He had this encounter with Christ where he saw things differently and his long view was changed. His long view of what he was doing began to change. So when he says, forgetting what is is behind, I believe that's a little bit more allegorical because he is very well aware of what was behind him. He knows full well what he was, what he did. But what he is saying, I am no longer bound by that. I am no longer defined by that. I have been defined by Christ. And so I'm now, my long view is now changed over here. All those other things that I were pursuing, those don't measure up to what I experienced in experiencing Christ. And so he sets his mind on these things. I had my long view changed several times. And I think probably all of us will um, over time because we're not complete, we're broken. And so there's lots of things as we discover uh, victory or as we discover more brokenness, this long view of knowing Christ continues to have some different emphasis and motivation and, and uh, behind it. Uh, where my, my long view first started to really get shaped was... Uh, I told you that I kind of have, I always viewed my spiritual life with this backdrop of guilt, this backdrop of shame, of like I couldn't possibly be accepted by God until I somehow proved that I could be devoted enough or spiritual enough, or I couldn't possibly be accepted until I overcame some of the like, whether it's sin or obstacles that were in my way. And so I felt like in order to be, become a disciple or be accepted, I had to do all these things. We were in, in school, and we had a, a, a class on the theology of Paul. And, and you see it played out in, in this passage that we're looking at as well. Um, and you've heard me talk about this, so forgive me if you've heard this from me before, but it's, it's just that important to me. This whole idea of like an indicative and imperative. So an imperative is a command. It's a military thing, like do this. The indicative is more about like a, a result, like... Uh, the fact that I have, I'm a disciple is indicative of the fact that I have given my life to Christ. So, and we usually put it in that order. You start with a command and then there's an indicative. So you do, you do, you do, and there's a result, right? If I want to lose weight, I have to put in some work and do some things. I got to eat better. I got to exercise. And the result of that is I'll, I'll hopefully will have lost weight and I'll be able to achieve that goal. And so when Paul's long view was changed, when he had this encounter with Christ and it changed everything, he flipped those things around. 
his encounter with Christ realized, like, and, and he even says it, that I am trying to take hold of him who took hold of me. So he's identifying Christ has already taken hold of me. There is not something that I'm striving to accomplish to do in order to receive him loving and accepting and taking hold of me. He's already done that. I am trying to take steps to take hold of what he has already taken hold of me. And so he says, the result is first. You're already accepted. The imperative is after the fact. Become what it is you've already become. You've been made holy, so live holy. You are forgiven, so live as a forgiven person. You have been declared righteous, so live and do in righteousness. That changed my long view because it was the first time that I ever really was able to receive and understand God is pleased with me. God loves me. God has set me apart. And all I have to do, my goals, are trying to understand and become what it is he has already said I am. You know that video said, you're not your past. You're not your parents. You're not your sin. You're a new creation. We get to spend our entire lives becoming what he has already said we are. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying in, uh, in this. Another changing part for me, as far as like my long view, is when I got married. That completely changed the, the direction of what does it mean to even be loved by God. Because now I have this context for uh, love, for acceptance, for intimacy that changes everything. My long view got changed when I became a father because now the love of the father started to take on a different view and look for me as I saw little boys looking to me to shape their impression of who God is. And so there's going to be continuing things that start to change and shape our long view. But the one thing that is consistent is that it is founded in knowing Christ. So what does Paul say our goal is? It's to know Christ. It's not to perfect the practice. It's not to achieve some kind of like checklist of things you, so that you uh, are, are trying to do. As you set a goal... Start with the long view of who you are based on the one that has already taken hold of you. And that goal is now putting you on a path to know the one that has already taken hold of you. Changes, because that hope is certain. Paul goes on to say, and that, that's our current reality. Our current reality right now, for each and every one of us, our long view goal is to know Christ. For today, right now, everything that we're doing is to know Christ. And he says our future hope, the, the way down the road, the thing that, that's going to wake us up in the morning, 
that's going to remind us of all the things that we need to be doing, that's going to give us the inspiration to accomplish and keep doing the list that we have made out. Ready? To know Christ fully. See, we're, we're, he has given us his fullness, and yet because of our human condition and sin and all those things, we have not yet been able to understand or fully attain the fullness of relationship with Christ. And so that's why in the passage when Paul says, I even want to know how to be, I want to know his death. I want to know his resurrection. I haven't attained that yet. He has already given me the promise and the fruit of of him going through death and resurrecting. But I want to know everything about it. John Piper, he calls it Christian hedonism. He says, when you have an encounter with God and you see his hand move, you say, I want more of that. I can't get enough of that. I will never be satisfied with that. Because it's not about just serving some kind of earthly, like fleshly desire of of things here. It is to know Christ fully. You know, when, when I first... Uh, you know, read this passage and you, and you see him saying, I even want to know in his death and I want to know in his resurrection. It almost sounds like this kind of like martyrdom of like, I'm, you know, willing to die for Christ and all that. But when you see it from this context, you say, man, I can't get enough of Christ. I can't get enough of what he's done in me. I want to know it all. He has already promised me that I will be united with him in resurrection. He's already promised me resurrection. I want to know what that's like. He's already promised me victory over death. And so I'm not afraid of stepping into death. I want to know what that's like. And so when we, you know, when you hear Paul now, it's more of like a, 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 a giddy kid that's really focused, you know, that's really, and you know, and so when he starts to set these goals and puts these things in place, it's one of, of excitement, of joy, of I am pressing on, I'm not going to give up because I can't get enough. I can't get enough of what Christ has already done in me, and I know that he's already promised me so much more. So I want to step into that. Uh, Troy, he framed this whole long view with this careful planning, puts you ahead in the long run. Hurry and scurry puts, puts you further behind. So knowing that we have a certain hope that changes the way we carefully plan. Because we don't plan for a hope that's across your fingers. Man, I hope this works. We have a hope that is Certain. University Press has a commentary that, that I used that I really I thought was great in um, kind of dissecting this passage. And the commentary just says this part of being human is that by nature we are oriented to the future. And in a day like our present day and age, when most people have no real future to look forward to, this here is a strikingly powerful Christian moment. The tragedy that attends this rather thoroughgoing loss of genuine hope is that our culture is now trying to make the present eternal 
North Americans are probably the most death-denying culture in the history of the race. It's that live-in-the-moment thing. Again, even though it's true, we're not promised tomorrow. But what we're living for today is not just for today. We are living for a future and certain hope. He goes on to say, in the midst of this hopelessness, the believer in Christ who recognizes Christ as the beginning and end of all things meaningful needs to be reminded again. That is why we gather. I need to be reminded of what that video says. You need to be reminded that you are not just the sum of your failures, but those failures are an indication of the power of Christ molding and shaping you into what he has already claimed victory over. And to think in terms of sharing it with the world, that God's purposes for his creation are not finished until he has brought our salvation to its consummation. Paul finds life meaningful precisely because he sees the future with great clarity. And the future has to do with beginnings. The now redeemed realization of God's creative purposes through Christ the Lord. There is no other prize. Hence, nothing else counts for much except knowing Christ, both now and with clear and certain hope for the future. Now, I, I have to confess to you, as I kind of already have, this is a hard concept for me. It is much easier for me to want to slip back into the mindset of having to, like, prove something to myself or to you or to God. It's harder for me to accept that my efforts are meaningless without him and that my efforts aren't going to gain any more than I've already been promised. And so as I need to adopt this thinking and shape the way I plan my goals for 2014, I need to do so with the long view in mind that I have been set apart, I have been made holy, I have been forgiven, I have been promised inheritance to sit with him at the right hand of the throne for eternity That is what I want to be the motivating factor for when I say I need to be a better husband, when I need to be a better father, when I need to lose weight. It's not to just check off things here and now so that I can be taking steps into those things that are true of me because God says they're true. So what does it mean for all of you? What does it mean for this church? Ultimately, if you hear Nothing else today. If you, hear, if you don't hear a thing, I would hope that you would walk away with just this one word, hope. That there is hope. And, and not just a, uh, again, that fingers crossed kind of hope. Certain hope. And where you find the certainty, certainty of that hope is in the words of what Christ has said is true of you. So when we 
ask you. Read your Bible. It's not to try to like, you know, we, there's no like commission for the church to get a lot of people reading. There's no, uh, you know, there, there's not like any kind of um, uh, benefit that we receive on any kind of human level. But it's because we've tasted and seen a little bit of that. And we want you to, to, to join us in this pursuit, in this collective, unified, future, long view hope of what Christ has said is true of us. And we're going to spend the rest of our life trying to attain that which he has already taken hold of us. And so we have in the, the kind of out in the lobby and in the connection line, we have these cards that say our community family covenant, and then what you can do to connect with God. And on it, it just says, acknowledge your surrendered life to Jesus. And that's simply saying yes to the promises that he has made. To declare your faith in baptism. You know, baptism, again, we don't get any kind of points for having more people get baptized. And, and quite honestly, even though it's this public declaration, it's not even just for you to give yourself a pat on the back, say, I did it. You know, when Paul says, I want to I, I understand everything there is to know about Christ. I want to understand his death. I want to somehow understand resurrection. That's crazy. When we get baptized, we are identifying with those things. We are trying to take hold of those things that God has already said is true of us. We identify ourselves with his death and with his resurrection. We know that it's not the complete and full picture because the end goal is to fully know Christ, where we will have experienced resurrection and glory with him. But while we're here, our goal today is that we will identify ourselves with that which is true. And so we baptize and identify ourselves with Christ. That's why we do it. We ask you to attend services regularly. Now, big is not necessarily the goal, but it is amazing that there's about 1,200 people that show up every week. And so wherever you are at, wherever your faith journey has brought you, wherever you may be in having accepted Christ or not, you may be on the fence, you may be skeptical, but the one thing that I can guarantee is true is that you have had some encounter with Christ. You may not believe him yet, you may not have accepted him as true, but you've encountered him. And that encounter is enough to change the long view. And every time you show up here, we change. Every time you bring somebody that may have no clue who he is, we all change. And that is a, a beautiful and wonderful thing. And so big is not the goal, but Christ is. And so when there's more people that are in this room that are going to get to have an encounter with Christ, yes, let's bring it on. Let's do that. Let's make that a goal to get as many people packed into this room so that they can hear the, the long view changing goal of knowing Christ and knowing him fully. And then we ask you to, to, to give. And you, 
for those of you that attend every week, you probably get sick of me and Troy talking about what it means to give and how it's not about budgets and it's not about money and it's not about acquiring, uh, you know, accounts or anything like that. It's an indication of how uh, Christ is changing our heart and actually aligning us with him. He is a giver. He has given his son so that we may have life, so that we may have relationship with him. So every time we give sacrificially or a free will of any amount, of any kind of way, we're actually aligning ourselves with Christ, taking a step towards this long view of knowing him fully. And so as, as Piper said, I want more of that. I want more opportunity to be able to understand the fullness of what, is, what does it mean to be a giver. And so we offer tools to be able to accomplish all these things, and, and they're just that, they're tools. The classes and things that we offer, they are, they are tools to help us connect with God to know him fully. And so whether that's in an origins class where you can get like a biblical foundation and uh, more understanding of how our church works, uh, whether it's a baptism class to understand what does it really mean to align yourself with Christ, uh, or my wife and I, we're going to be teaching uh, that Financial Peace University class uh, starting in February. And we would encourage you, wherever you're at in your finances, because it's not just for people that are desperate. You may think you have no need uh, for a class like that, or you may be scared to death because there's too much month at the end of the money. And both alike need to be reminded of what does it mean to handle the provisions that God has given us God's way, not our way, God's way. And I can tell you that we've had just stories and stories of life change, not just money change, life change because of that. So if you want information about that, that's, uh, there's a sign-up sheet, and we'll get you information to start. It's going to start up in February. Um, and so we ask you to, to, to step into these things so that we are collectively moving together towards a common goal, towards a common long view of knowing Christ fully. And... Uh, and I can't wait to hear stories, to hear what God is doing. And so we're going to go to communion here in just a minute. And as you do, I, I would just ask that you ask God to remind you of the truth of who you are. Don't start off 2014 with the mindset of everything that you're not. Start with the mindset of everything that you are in Christ. And let that be the thing that drives how you set goals, how you interact with others, whatever it might be. And so as you go to the table, ask God to remind you of the things that are true of you. To remind you of the certain hope that we have in him. And then as you participate and celebrate the broken body and the blood that was shed, that you may be aligning yourself, as Paul said, to somehow attain the understanding of his death, to somehow attain resurrection, that this is a, 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 a way that we can align ourselves and join and start to experience, to know him on our journey of knowing him fully. So why don't you pray with me? God, thanks for today. Thank you for the uh, certain hope that we have in you. 
Thank you that you have not defined us by our shortcomings, but you have defined us by your promises. And I pray that as we grow and as we mature, as we seek you out, that those promises will speak louder and clearer and more driving. So much so that we, it changes our, our worldview, it changes our long view, it changes uh, our life. So God, remind us of these things that are true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.